Welcome to another episode of Round 4 Brackets. I am the host and author, Scott Barnes, and I'm going to do something a little different this episode. I'm going to let the other hosts take a minute to introduce themselves. Now that we are an official spin-off show, that being the Round 3 Speak uh, podcast, available on Spotify, M Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music and more, I think it's fair to let our audience into the panel a bit more so first up, let's say hello to our Round 3 Speak producer and fellow Round 4 host, Mercy Warren. Hi, Mercy. Hi. Um, I'm super excited that we have a new platform for our Round 4 bracket. I think it's really fun doing these with my friends and my husband. Um, if you're a listener of the show, you know that I am a movie buff, but I also have very specific genres and types of movies I tend to gravitate towards. I would recommend listening to our Christmas show as well as our um, Disney episodes that I have just posted recently, just to get my take on the kind of movies I tend to gravitate towards. And yeah, you like the more the fun movies, a lot of movies with musical, like music numbers and stuff, mm -hmm. do you seem to like those? Yeah, and I like old movies. My favorite actress is... Audrey Hepburn. Yes. So I do tend to like older Hollywood movies like that. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy that you're here with us and you have a bigger part on this show. Uh, let's go over to the Lawsons and bring them in. Who uh, who would like to go first, Mr. or Mrs.? Uh, Mrs. Lawson is going to go first. So, hi, everyone listening and fellow fans. Um, I am also excited that we have our own platform for our uh, pop culture and movies and TV shows and I hope you know, we're going to continue to do awesome shows for you guys and entertaining shows. Um, I've been watching movies, I mean, I would say my whole life. I gravitate towards comedies. Uh, comedies and shows that I've probably seen like a hundred times I will go back and watch. I'm that kind of person. I like the comfort of knowing what's going to happen. So, um, Definitely, like, maybe 80s or 90s comedies I will gravitate towards. Those are probably my favorite. Um, but, yeah, so glad to, that we're continuing to do this, and we're going to get great content out for you guys. Yeah. Oh, I just want to say really quick, Mrs. Lawson, too. Uh, she has a great movie repertoire to her name. Uh, we play this, uh, uh, this kind of game called Bomb, where you... It, it's without getting into it too much like you say a movie or an actor and then you got to name another movie or an actor that person's been in so uh it goes back and forth like troy brad pitt brad pitt to mr and mrs smith mrs lawson's really the only person i know who can give me a great run for my money and take me to town on that so i always want to say i uh, respect your uh, movie knowledge <laughs> you're too kind of my useless knowledge of movies <laughs> thank you all right hey guys thanks for thanks for having me on mr lawson uh just want to say, yeah, that's very true. Mrs. Lawson is really good at, like, actors and actresses, especially. I'm, I'm like, how do you know this useless information? <laughs> she is really good at that. Um, I know I'm on the other Round 3 podcast, which I recommend you listen to. Um, 
Um, Scott always introduces me as like the secret uh, agent man, uh, secret spy. That's not really fully true, but um, you know, I, I, I like to let him exaggerate for me a little bit. He's but, being a little uh, modest, but you know. <laughs> the super du- he's a super duper secret. Yeah, spy. that's right. <laughs> not, not really true, but um, yeah. I mean, I've been watching movies. My my parents. Um, I remember when I was, I think I was eleven years old. They let me watch Saving Private Ryan. Um, oh. Which was way too, you know, like pretty hardcore movies to show an eleven-year-old. Um, it was just kind of one of, one of those things. My parents were always like very cool with me watching just like movies that like were had like more adult themes, and I remember they thought I could handle it. Um, so I really just, I mean, honestly, I started watching movies at a young age, and um, I also got mono in high school, and I was out of school for at least two, two and a half months, and. Um, you know, to pass the time, and you're just kind of not, not feeling well, um, my parents would recommend a lot of movies to me. So I really got, like, an, a, a good eclectic, like, uh, view, viewership of movies back then. And it kind of, like, launched me into being, like, a really big fan of, of just, like... I mean, I, I was getting introduced to movies from, like, as far as, like... As far back as, like, Lawrence of Arabia to, like, you know, movies that just came out in like, the early 2000s, so... Um, yeah, seen a lot of movies. Not as good with the actors and actresses as Scott and Mrs. Lawson is, but uh, seen a lot of movies, and I've seen a bunch of movies on this list. I do prefer comedies, and I would say more historic dramas. Um, but there are some sci-fi movies that we're going to talk about on this podcast that I really enjoy as well. Awesome, yeah, thanks. And I will say, uh, Mr. Lawson too. He's I've known him. I've known everybody here for a long time, and probably Mr. Lawson the longest. And he's always had a very high level of maturity. And around the group of friends that we have that's saying something because it kind of stands out. So I can see your parents at a young age trusting you with those kind of movies. I knew you can handle it. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> yep. So uh, thank you, everyone, for being here. We had a fun time in 2021 doing this show. And I think the rest of 2022 will be even better. Uh, with that, let's get into today's episode. That being ranking and debating and discussing 16 of the best sci-fi movies ever made. Science fiction is, to me, what Christmas movies are to Mercy Warren. They are exciting, fast-paced, fun, and more and more we see science fantasy turning turning into reality with each passing year. I am a true nerd in every sense of the word, and I think we had to do something special for May 4th. The Force be with you all. Nobody said also with you, but I'll let that slide. That's okay. All right. But uh, despite this being a Star Wars day, I think we should celebrate all sci-fi movies and also answer that age-old question, which franchise is king, Star Wars or Star Trek? We will have to wait a bit for that answer because neither of the first two films are either of those franchises. So here we go, everybody. The first two movies on our bracket. Number one, Independence Day, which came out in 1996, starring Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Judd Judd Hurst, Robert Loja, and Randy Quaid. So I have an interesting fact about this movie. In Independence Day, it came out uh, when it came out, or when it was in production. Area Fifty One created controversy in the film because the U.S. military pulled its support after learning Area Fifty One was referenced in the movie. In the also in the scene where a map of Area Fifty One can be seen in a briefing room, that is an actual picture, a photograph taken by a conspiracy theorist who snuck into the area and took the picture. So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, usually military, like the Pentagon or the military will help uh, support movies. 
Uh, Mr. Lawson can probably talk about this a little bit, but you know, they, they get funding or support or use their equipment, but if they don't like the direction you're going, they pull it fast. <laughs> so and Independence Day goes up against number two, The Matrix, which came out in 1999, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie, oh my gosh, we're, okay, Carrie Ann Mar, uh, Moss, oh my gosh, Carrie Ann Moss, this is like a common trend here, people, I can't read my own handwriting, and of course, Hugo Weaving. Um, so, fun fact, many injuries occurred during production. Carrie Ann Moss hurt her ankle, but didn't tell anyone so she wouldn't be recast, and did all of her own stunts. Uh, Hugo Weaving hurt his leg on the first day of filming, but it turned out to actually be a polyp that had to be surgically removed. Uh, Keanu Reeves had surgery on his neck and spine just before production, which partially paralyzed his legs, uh, hence his lack of kicking in a lot of the fight scenes. Um, both of these movies are really fun and exciting. That's the common thing you see with uh, uh, sci-fi movies in general. Um, especially with both of these movies, like when you're doing something kind of silly like sci-fi, you have to be involved. You have to make the, the audience believe you're in these situations and that the end of the world could be coming. And I think that both of these movies did a great job with that. Mercy. <laughs> okay, so as Scott said, this podcast is, the theme is May 4th, because everyone says May the 4th is like a Star Wars day. It is also my girl Audrey Hepburn's 93rd birthday, so just throwing that out there. Aww. So happy birthday, Audrey. Um, I would like to preface this by saying I don't have the most knowledge regarding science fiction movies. They're not something I generally watch a lot of, but I do have respect for them. Especially, I've watched a few of these movies in preparation for this podcast, and I do have respect for the craft. They're just not something I would choose to watch on my own. So just keep that as you are, as you are listening to my responses. So Independence Day, I believe this is my pick to put on the broadcast on this podcast on the bracket. Um, I don't really have much to say about it. All in all honesty, I always cry when I've only seen the movie a few times, but I always cry when Randy Quaid like sacrifices himself to save the other ones. That's always like an emotional moment. And when the president reunites with his daughter at the end. I know um, it pop, pop culture right now, Will Smith has been a bit of a hot button topic with the infamous slap that happened about a month ago. But I think this was like right as he was getting into his like heyday where he was producing a lot of good movies. So that's what I have to say about Independence Day. The Matrix I saw once in high school, which is really not an appropriate movie to watch in high school, probably. <laughs> but I remember in English class, we watched like all three of them. That's all I really have to say, Lawson. <laughs> so if you listened in the past, um, Mr. Lawson and I have
So I will say my thoughts on Independence Day. Uh, the part that comes to mind when I think of it is the part with the dog. I'm sure that's not a surprise. <laughs> they always seem to talk about dogs and like movies and how it gives me anxiety. But anyway, so Vivica A. Fox, they're in LA. Vivica A. Fox and their and there's Will Smith and her son are trying to get out of this tunnel. They're trying to escape because the aliens are coming. And all of a sudden, they're in this tunnel suspense, and then all of a sudden you see the dog like jumping over the cars, and it's safe, and you feel better, and I'm sure you can just hear my voice. I'm <laughs> talking about it, and it's giving me stress. <laughs> Glad the dog and everyone is safe at that part. So, anyways, <laughs> as I just make a picture in your mind, I hope. I saw and, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. And then um, another note that I made is there was like some hotties in the White House. Like, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum was attractive during that time. Bill Coleman is our cousin. He's a hottie. Will Smith, hottie. <laughs> so, you, you know, they had to make it for the movie, of course. So I get in trouble for saying Jasmine is hot. Is she going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> no. Cartoon. <laughs> I don't know. But. You know, uh, so those are my takes. Uh, not to Mr. Lawson. Yeah, so interesting <laughs> takes from Mrs. Lawson as always. <laughs> <laughs> always trying to bring some sort of sexuality or scandal into every podcast. Uh, so yeah, so I, I have kind of two opposite views on these movies. Uh, the Matrix, I think, is one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. I rec- I couldn't recommend it more. That's just fantastic. Um, Keanu Reeves is really good in it, and I know that. Um, I think it's a movie that makes you think a little bit. Like it's not, it's not like very, it's not laid out. So it's like, it's like it's not like a mindless movie. Like it's something to kind of think about. Um, obviously, the red pill and the blue pill is something that I think has kind of like stayed with us and is like a conspiracy theorist. Like oh, you know, take the, you know, you're taking the blue pill or whatever. So um, yeah, I just think it's a, I said great movie, great special effects, pretty good acting. I mean, for Keanu Reeves, I think it's one of his best. Um, and yeah, it just it, to me, it's like a movie I would strongly recommend uh, as far as like, if you're interested in the sci-fi theme. Um, and, and, and there's really a dystopian element to it as well that I think is interesting. Um, Independence Day, I'm not as big of a fan on. I'm not a big of a fan on. Um, I don't think the movie slaps, should we say. <laughs> um, you know, I think, as Ms. Lawson just mentioned, the, act, the actors are big names, and I think it's fairly well acted. Um... I just don't think the plot line delivers as well. Um, I mean, they show, like, one of the things that bothers me is, like, they show cities getting destroyed, and, like, they don't really play into, like, the emotion of, like, I mean, if you were in a, if, if you just saw New York City getting blown up or you heard about it, like, I think you'd take a minute or two and, like, you know, just reflect on it or just be a little bit upset, and they kind of just, like, move past all that. So I don't think they do a great job with, like, the emotions um, that's going on. And I think some of the special effects, I mean, they're okay. I think, you know, it, it was the 90s, so I think special effects were pretty good by then. And they're, like I said, they're all right. They blow up a bunch of stuff. I think it's pretty standard, honestly. Um, and one of the facts, that I don't, some review I saw that, that mentioned, like, why is it that, like, a spaceship that's, like, a force of the size of the moon gets in, like, battle, like, in, like, dogfights with, like, U.S., like, planes? It just seems a little bit far-fetched, honestly. Like, they can blow up cities, but, like, our, like, planes can take them down. I don't know. It just seems a little bit exaggerated to me. 
I, I see your point, and it's stuff I haven't really thought of with the the Independence Day too much. I just think of it more as, um, you know, I don't know. It's just it, their technology is better than ours. So I mean, but at the same time, they relied on their technology so much they thought they were invincible. So once we were able to find like a crack in the armor, like things did, like you know, they relied too much. Once they, it, it kind of like we'll see in War of the Worlds too. If, uh, later in the bracket, you know, I think like the parallels between those two movies is once you get past that initial defense and they rode that superiority for so long, once you can get past it, then yeah, like we, we expose their flaws. Um, I think there's a lot more in, oh God. Sorry. I think, I think there's some plot holes just as far as like the technology. I still think it's like, I mean, obviously it was like a summer blockbuster. That's the kind of movie it is. Like yeah. it's, there's explosions, there's big name actors, there's a lot of action to it. It moves along pretty quickly. I just think it's not—it's not my favorite of all time. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, it's not a horror movie, but just—it just to me, it doesn't compare to the Matrix. Episode. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's as we get into the voting, uh, I am going to give my vote towards Independence Day. I definitely see your point of view. Um, I, I do, and and both of these movies, I actually kind of thought I think that they're. Uh, this like you know the CGI or the everything that's in there holds up over time you know twenty something years later uh, twenty five years later um, and Matrix kind of looks a little bit more fake to me now looking back on it like I think I was like you know some of those things that they did at first so it was kind of cool and original with Matrix but now you see it there um, it also um, like now it just doesn't like eh, you know you know it's not that great now but back then both of these movies I think were revolutionary when they came out with that you know blowing up the White House the way they did that was like you know. Um, but also, too, I, I want to say really quick as we move on, neither of these films did great with their sequels. Like, uh, Matrix, I thought, really let me down with theirs. Yeah, the sequels are terrible. Yeah. Independence Day Resurgent was, if we ever make a bracket where it's the worst movies ever made, that's one of my votes is Independence Day Resurgence. Horrible. Uh, but my vote does go towards Independence Day. My vote goes towards Independence Day as well. I'm going to stand firm and take the red ball and vote for the Matrix, which, again, <laughs> recommend you guys all watch over to that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, looking at this, too, I think this might actually hurt you a little bit, um, Mr. Lawson. Looking, um, so it, it's appearing like the Matrix, it looks like, I won't give the numbers now, but it looks like it's tied for highest INDB score on the list, too. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll keep moving on. <laughs> but that's why, you know what, we, we, bu- we bucked the trends here a little bit. And Independence Day, in case it comes back mm-hmm. later, didn't score that well on uh, INDB. So maybe uh, you might lose here in our panel, Mr. Lawson. But overall, it seems that the people agree with you. <laughs> but we're the authority on this, not them. They can start their own uh, podcast. As we go into movies three and four here, we have number five, The Fifth Element, which came out in 1997, starring Bruce Willis, Mila Djokovic, Gary Oldman, uh, Jan Holm, and Chris Tucker. Uh, so fun fact about Fifth Element, Luke Besson wrote the original screenplay when he was in high school at the age of 16. Uh, he made the hero a taxi cab driver, which is played by Bruce Willis, because his dad was a taxi driver. He wrote and created the world so he could escape his lonely childhood. Um, quote, unquote, he said that. And it took him 22 years to make this movie. 
but it shows not to give up on your dreams. And I, you know, I relate to that as a lot as a writer. You know, I haven't had a ton of success as a writer, but I'm hoping, you know, maybe, hey, in, in 22 years, one of my books will get made into a movie or something. So, I mean, like, that's pretty cool um, um, that he had a vision and followed up with it and kept with it. So, Fifth Element goes up against number four, Mars Attacks, which came out in 1996, starring huge cast here. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, Sarah Jessica Parker, Glenn Close, uh, Jack Black, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Michael J. Fox, Natalie Portman, and Jim Brown, the uh, the great uh, former running back. Um, so Mars Attacks, uh, fun fact, poor box office showing was actually due to Independence Day, another uh, way that Independence Day is screwed over something here. Um, the producers got greedy and moved the film up to 1996, seeing the success it had, instead of 1997. Uh, Tim Burton claimed he was rushed and couldn't make the film the way he wanted. So, oh, sorry, Miss Lawson looked like you were getting ready. Okay, so, uh, both of these movies, we just recently, uh, watched, uh, Mercy and I, um, I, I greatly enjoy them both, so, Mercy? So, as... Scott just said I recently watched both of these movies for the first time because I hadn't seen them before. And they, I was confused by both of them in their own right. Fifth Element to me just felt like it was kind of all over the place. Like, I understand the connection. They're in Egypt at the beginning and then they skip 300 years into the future. And I understand the end goal of the movie is to unite all the elements and save the world. But how they got there just is all over the place. And then when they bring Chris Tucker in with his fun little hairstyle and that like cheetah, cheetah jumpsuit, like I just don't understand his character or what he's even doing there. Yeah, like we, um, it, it was originally the part was written for Prince, the musical singer, and apparently he turned it down. But it was written for him, and you, you wonder what if, like how Prince would have played that part instead of Chris Tucker. Um, because I think it would have been yeah. more, like wildly, wildly different. It's like a sci-fi, but Chris Tucker's playing it like it's a comedy, so he feels like he just doesn't super fit yeah. in the role. Whereas Prince might have played it like less. I think he would have played it sexy. It would have been, you know, like he would have, you know, just mesmerized the girls. I mean, because like, all the not girl... how Chris Tucker played it. I know. He yeah, played like, it kind of like flamboyant. Oh like. yeah, it's really flamboyant. Like the the women are all like, oh, he's so sexy, and like they like tremor when he's near, but like. I mean, ladies here, like, is that how you feel He around? was just a silly goose, <laughs> in all honesty. Like, that's what I would call him, a silly goose. Okay, sorry, we're dominating um, this. And then Mars Attacks. Um, I think everybody in that movie is just the dumbest. Like, they, they, the aliens kept on, like, being like, no, we're sorry, we're sorry. But then they did the exact same thing they did before and, like, shoot everybody. So, like, when were they going to learn? And when Martin Short's, like, driving into the White House and sees that, like, um, Martin dressed up as that... Cr Fake girl, A, why isn't there security outside the White House? Yeah. Where is the Secret Service? Like, why would the press secretary have Secret Service with him in the first place? Why would they just let a random person they don't know, unidentified, into the house? Just, it just, everyone in that movie is not very intelligent. No. But I'm very glad that Jim Brown made it out alive and was able to reunite with his children at the end. Lawson's. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The fifth element made $264 million at the box office, and Mars Attack, not so much, only $102 million. Um, like Scott said, it wasn't as big of a hit. Um, kind of a flop, actually. But uh, I will say, for Mars Attack was one of my choices, and I've seen both movies. Um, was my one of my choices to put on the bracket, Mars Attack. Both of these are pretty nostalgic, like, my dad introduced me to these movies. I remember watching them both of them. 
So um, Mars Attack definitely sticks out in my brain as a, I don't know what people would call it, sci-fi. It's very, like, spoofy and cheesy and um, very Tim Burton-like, but I liked it. I don't know. It, it, I like kind of like, like the scenery. Like, it takes place in Vegas and, like, in the desert with all, like, the cool signs and, you know, very, very Las Vegas. Um, I do have a couple of fun facts that I thought were fun. So, the Martian girl that uh, Mercy was just talking about, the actress said that the wig, and it's a very tall wig, it actually, she suffered injuries from wearing the wig for so long. It, like, she said, quote, it gave her, like, holes in her head. Oh. So, it sounds, sounds like it was very painful, but I guess worth it, since she's pretty, like, you know, iconic on the posters and everything for her character. Um, and then one of the memorable things, the Martians, they make this uh, pretty, like, weird noise. It's like, but there's actually... Duck, 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 duck. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, you're better than I am at that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, but it's actually sounds of ducks. So that were create, that created the noises for them. So I thought that was fun. Um, and I'll pass it over to Mr. Lawson because I've talked too much. So, this is going to be my, the fifth element is my Mercy Warren special, in that it's the movie that I haven't seen on this list, <laughs> so that's that's that. Um, I almost feel like voting for it, though, because Mars Attacks, to me, is just, it's just it's such a poorly made movie, in my opinion. Uh, it's really cheesy, and it's too cheesy, honestly. It's too cheesy for the cast that they had. I mean, they have an all-star cast in that movie. I mean, Jack Nichols, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, like, we bring that cast together, and to come up with that result, I think, is just kind of disappointing. And it just kind of goes to show, I think Tim Burton, um, he's not my favorite director by any means. Nightmare Before Christmas, I thought was, like, a really fun, good movie. We've talked about that before. But a lot of his other movies are kind of a letdown to me, and this is, like, another one. So, uh, yeah, Mars, Mars Attacks, again, like, you look at the, at the cast they had, I feel like it should have been a lot better... Um, so I'll leave it to you guys for the voting. Okay, yeah, and uh, both of these movies, I, 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 it's weird. Like I agree with you a lot on Mars Attack. Actually, Fifth Element is really like I, it's one of those movies in a film class I used to sneak into in college. Uh, to, I saw it on the big screen there, and like the professor broke it down. And um, so Fifth Element's always had a special place, like in my you know movie life love. So uh, I will go with Fifth Element. Mars Attacks is really funny. But um, there are a lot of points, like like Mr. Lawson nailed it. He really did, you know, there are a lot of other things in that, flaws in the movie, where it could have been better. Maybe Tim Burton felt rushed or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Fifth Element's probably better. So neither of these movies are my favorite on this list by any means. Like I've said just previously, I had fault, found flaws with both of them. In Mars Attacks, I really didn't like the scene where, like, Pierce Brosnan's, like, a floating head yeah. and Sarah Jessica Parker's head is on the dog. Like, that that weirded me out. Um, if I had to pick one to vote for, for between these two, I would pick The Fifth Element. Um, I'll probably vote for Mars Attacks. Uh, I think it's just like a little bit more. And um, to your point, I did read that there were so many stars. I believe it was Jack Nicholson that got so many stars involved in the movie itself, so that's why there's so many long names. But I'll throw a vote in. I don't think it's going to win, but 
You gotta vote for me. So I am gonna basically, even though I've never seen the fifth element, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna make a vote against Mars Attacks and vote for the fifth element to advance. <laughs> just based on the, like what Scott said and, and Mercy said about the movie, and just again, I'm just such an. I'm just not a big fan of Mars Attacks, and it's more of a spoof than like a real true sci-fi movie. I know there's sci-fi elements to it, but it's not really a true sci-fi classic movie to me. Yeah, I mean, there are some great moments. I love that they use, like, the bad music at the end to kill, like, make all the, like, the aliens' brains explode. I think that's hilarious. The grandma's my favorite part of that yeah, entire movie. The grandma's great. Yeah, that little, like, uh, uh, the way that the, the grandson looks after her, too, I think is cool. But, yeah, it's it, I felt like it could have been uh, better. But, it, again, it's a, it's a movie I don't hate. I, I still do like it. So, uh, yeah, but I, th- I think you would like Fifth Element, too, Mr. Lawson. All right, so Fifth Element moves on, and in number five... We have Men in Black, which came out in 1997, starring Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Linda Florentino, Florentino uh, Rip Torn, and Tony Shalhoub. So we've seen station wagon sales decrease from National Lampoon's vacation. Uh, we saw the fake tree sales fall after Charlie Brown's Xmas special came out. Both of those facts were in our other podcast. So well after Men in Black came out, the Ray-Ban Predator Z glasses used in the film saw sales increase from $1.6 million to $5 million uh, during that time. Uh, also, I thought a fun fact was that Clint Eastwood was originally offered the role of K, but he turned it down. So that would have been kind of funny seeing, uh, do you feel lucky punk in there as uh, Dirty K? Um, but Men in Black goes up against number six, Star Wars, A New Hope which came out in 1977, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, and James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. Um, so Peter Mayhew, a.k.a. Chewbacca, this is a fun fact, uh, kept his job as an orderly in a hospital for the first three movies. As Star Wars grew more uh, famous, he realized he could make more money getting paid for appearances and festivals than he could at his job, so he finally did uh, retire from that and start doing that full-time. Um, which I thought that was pretty fun that while these movies were in theaters and he's the legendary Chewbacca, he's still working <laughs> in a hospital. So, um, that's a fun fact. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, it's funny because I love men in black. Um, it was actually one of my picks to get onto the bracket, but it's going up against star Wars. And, um, as I've said in other ones, like in my personal opinion, sorry, Trekkies star Wars is pretty awesome. And this is the one that launched mm-hmm. it all. Uh, so we'll get into the voting, but, um, two fantastic movies in my opinion. So I have strong childhood memories regarding both of these movies. Um, one of them is more positive than the other. When I was younger, my dad took me to go see Men in Black in theaters while my mom was out of town. And it just terrified me to the point where I can't watch it to this day. I'm sure I wouldn't find it scary now if I watched it, but I can't watch it. And apparently, like, I, like, had nightmares for, like, two weeks after watching Men in Black in the theaters. <laughs> to the point where, like, my dad, my mom, like, yelled at my dad for, like, allowing me to see it. Because <laughs> I just got so scared. So, um, I haven't seen Men in Black since then. Since it was in theaters when I was a child. Because it gave me nightmares. But I remember the Star Wars franchise. I believe it was their 20th anniversary. They re-released them in theaters when I was younger. And my parents took my brother and I to go see them. And while I think I fell asleep during the first one, it she wasn't, does that a lot during it, movies. It wasn't my cup of tea. 
I remember my brother was super excited about it, and it started his lifelong love for Star Wars, which is what something he carries to this day. Um, he had all the merchandise. Like, he probably knows more about Star Wars than, like, anybody on this podcast, I'm sure. But um, it just, for him, it started that love of the franchise, which every once in a while they bring up new things, or just now that Disney owns them, they bring up new movies, create spinoff shows to keep it relevant. But... I mean, I just thought it was interesting that, like, they brought something from the 70s and made children from the 90s fall in love with it, and they continued to do that. I mean, Baby Yoda's clearly marketing, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what they've become good at. <laughs> Lawson's. Very solid point. I like all your fun facts and solid points. Um, this number, so Men in Black made 590 590- and then Star Wars A New Hope made $777 million. So, both very high. Um, Men in Black, I, I did also see this in theaters, and I wasn't scared, but I could see, Mercy, where it was scared. The guy that gets his body taken over from, like, an alien, and he comes out of the hole, and then he, like, stretches his, like, head to, like... I, I could see... It, it is... I could see where it was scary, but... Um, I thought this was a really fun movie. I like the dynamic of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, um, like the old guy versus the young whippersnapper. <laughs> Always a good for movies. Um, and I did read that the director's first cho- Tommy Lee Jones was not his first choice for the movie because of his uh, temper and his bad attitude, hmm. but it ended up working out. So um, I always enjoyed that movie. And... Men in, the song Men in Black that Will Smith sings was his first solo number one hit. So, from that movie. Which is, as Mercy would say, a bop. I was actually going to say that when I did voting. It is a bop. It is a bop. It's a bop to this day, absolutely. Um, and then Star Wars A New Hope. This is my favorite uh, Star Wars movie, I guess. It's the one that I've seen the most recently, and I think it's it's a good setup movie for like the rest of the movies, and it has like the greatest like reveal, one of them uh, in movie history of uh, it's that one right where it's Luke, I am your father, right? No, that's, that's, that's what, oh, is that Empire Strikes Back? Yeah. Oh, True well, Star Wars fan, you can Sorry. My bad. I'm so sorry. I thought that was uh, the New Hope. Well, it is. It is the one that I've seen the most recently and one that I do enjoy, um, but we will talk about, spoiler, that other Star Wars <laughs> later on the bracket. Um, but as I will say to Mr. Lawson that Chewbacca is the best thing about Star Wars because he is so cute. <laughs> After Mr. Lawson. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. Chewbacca is cool, I will say that. I, I just want to say, like, I have editing power, but I'm not going to edit that out. Sorry. That's, that's appropriate. Uh, so, Men in Black, this is the last time I use this joke. That movie slaps. Uh, it's just, it's really, it's a, it's a, almost a perfect mix of sci-fi and comedy, and it's just, I, like, the pace of the movie's great. I, I just, I don't know, I feel like it was just so well done. It'd be hard to, like, improve upon that movie. Um, the sequels are horrible. Yeah. But, and this is, as this is Lawson accurately said, that 
the chemistry between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones was was fantastic, and it's just a really fun. It's actually a good way to introduce like the art. Unless your kid is very scared, um, as Mercy was, um, maybe when your kid's a little bit old enough, that's a good movie to show them to kind of get them in sci-fi. Would be Men in Black, um, and maybe don't mention the Chris Rock, Will Smith controversy surrounding it. Um, that's a really fun movie. Uh, so, Star Wars: A New Hope is my second favorite Star Wars movie, um, and I'll just admit up front, I have seen all the Star Wars movies, all the spin-offs. Um, I'm not, like, so diehard that I, like, get really upset when the movies make these little errors, and I just enjoy them as just very fun movies, and when I go to the movies and I, and I like, hear that intro, the Star, Star Wars intro, like, music, I just get pumped up, like, I just get excited, I'm just, like, ready to watch the movies, so, I, I love the movies, um, but I'm not, it's, like, so, I'm not someone, like, like Scott, who can probably break them down as well as others. Um, yeah, New Hope is my second one. I think it's a very good intro, and you know, obviously, just like the iconic cast. I mean, everyone knows Star Wars. I won't speak too much about it, but I think it's the second best. And I will reveal my favorite of the Star Wars movies coming up later. Awesome! I can't wait to hear that. And you know, like Mr. Lawson's done a great job bringing up some different points here, and kind of like I think I have my mind made up on the movie I'm going to vote for, and then he kind of changes it a little bit. Because Men in Black, I was getting ready to vote for Star Wars: A New Hope, but he's right. Like Men in Black really is a great movie. I mean, like you don't think of it as like you know because Star Wars is just so like it's almost blasphemous, you know, to vote against it. It feels like it's so you know uh, just so ingrained in culture and everything, and it is fantastic. But Men in Black is so funny. And the, the characters, like, the, the way that uh, Tommy Lee Jones plays is so straight as K is, like, really lends to that dynamic with Will Smith. It's so good in that regard. So, you know what? I actually am going to give my vote towards Men in Black. Um, based on what I've said before, I'm sure this isn't a surprise, but my vote's going to go towards Star Wars. I will throw my vote for Men in Black. And I will, if you are at Universal Studios and you do see the Men in Black ride, uh, it is a fun ride and very entertaining. So I will say that as well. But my vote's for Men in Black. This is a really tough one because I love both these movies so much. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to force it to go to a tiebreaker just because I want to like hear the IMDb results of these because I wish these weren't matched up against each other first round because it's really like one of the, you know, I mean, it's the start of one of the greatest movie franchises at least for three movies of all time, and then a really fun, almost like the best execution it could possibly be sci-fi county movie. So it's really tough to choose. And I'm actually okay with this going to uh, the tiebreaker. Um, and, uh, you know, with Men in Black, it does kind of deserve that praise. And Mr. Lawson also, I hate giving him so many compliments here, but he also did nail it because the, uh, the, the sequels, like, you just like you just stop when it's good because, you know, it's uh, it's a money grab for the other ones. So it's not even really close uh, when it comes to this. Men in Black scored a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Star Wars A New Hope scored 8.6 out of 10. And that's not even the highest rated movie on this bracket. <laughs> so, yeah. That kind of makes sense for just being all... all like, like Mercy brought up earlier, the fact that it's still very... That movie still feels relevant, like, you know, what, 50 years later? Yeah. Plus? It's amazing. Yeah, and you know, Star Wars: New Hope. I, 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 it was one of those movies. I'm pretty sure uh, it would be into the finals, so um, or get close to it anyway. So I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm happy with Men in Black, though. Uh, I, I'm glad that we gave it a fighting chance here. Um, 
So, okay, we are ready to move on after uh, Star Wars New Hope moves on. So we have number seven and number eight. All right, we're back with number seven and number eight. And number seven is The Atom Project, the one that just came out this year on Netflix in 2022, starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Walker Scabell, I think he's the kid, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Gardner, Zoe uh, Saldana. Saldana. Saldana, thank you so much. That's why Mercy is here. And uh, Catherine Kinnear, said her name right? So, uh, fun fact about the Adam Project. Um, several Back to the Future and Doctor Who references for you uh, sci-fi nerds out there. So, the chase scene uh, on hoverboards through the uh, forest, uh, obviously a kind of reference to uh, uh, Back to the Future. And also in the, short, the shot with the reactor at the end, you can see the infamous blue doors and window design of the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Uh, only the true sci-fi nerd fans out there will know that. Uh, but finally, when the two Adams are standing at Pine Ridge Mall uh, Motel, uh, there's three pine trees in their logo. The pine trees logo changed from two to one in Back to the Future, so that's kind of a nod to the pine trees uh, when you know, because like Marty McFly, like they knocked down one of the pine trees in the beginning. So when he comes back to the future, there's only one pine tree instead of two. Uh, and number eight. Uh, which Adam Project is going up against, is another Star Wars movie. This one is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, this is the Luke, I'm your father uh, thing there, Mrs. Lawson. <laughs> uh, this came out in 1980. Uh, sorry, in the same cast I just said before, but adding Billy D. Williams to this one. So when Mark Hamill was having trouble with the Dagobah scenes with Yoda, they brought in the Muppet Miss Piggy to play the part and make Mark laugh and kind of to get him to relax a little bit and get a little loose. So I, there has to be some film out there somewhere of that. I need to look it up. Miss Lawson? That's a fun fact. I like that. <laughs> right? Like, Luke, you are the savior. Like, I just want to hear Miss Piggy doing that. <laughs> I don't know, Yoda. I don't know if I can do <laughs> Luke, you're our last hope. <laughs> Kermit. <laughs> All right, so both of these movies, Adam Project, uh, for a lot of Netflix movies, aren't that great. I will say, like, that uh, Red Notice one they did with The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, that was horrible. I thought that was a joke. Um, but Adam Project was one of the better Netflix movies out there, I'll give it to that. And Star Wars Empire Strikes Back isn't my favorite Star Wars. It's after you see your heroes just kick butt in the first one. They get their butts kicked themselves in the second one. And I don't like that Han Solo's tortured. I don't like that. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, um, it, it, it was, a, it was, I appreciate it now as I'm older, but as a kid, it's so traumatic seeing your heroes from the first movie start to lose. And, uh, uh, but that's, you know, the brilliance of the movie too. It's still a really good movie. Mercy Warren. Okay. So as Scott said, Adam Project recently launched on Netflix and I agree that it is one of the better, like direct Netflix movies. I, I really enjoyed it. It has a strong cast. I haven't really liked Ryan Reynolds in a few in the last few movies I've seen him in. Like I wasn't a huge fan of Free Guy, um, but I really did enjoy the Adam Project. I liked the dynamic of like Ryan Reynolds plays an older version of like the kid, and they reunite with their father at the end, and they have like the, the like a game of catch. I thought that was just like a nice heartwarming moment, and he gets the opportunity to go back and tell his mom like how much he appreciates her. So I mean, I just thought it was a nice heartwarming side movie like even though it definitely fit the sci-fi genre it did have that heartwarming mercy worn vibe that i tend to go for 
Um, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back largely is considered one of the best ones. I think the fact that it doesn't go perfectly for the cast during the entire during the film is like part of what makes it so endearing. It's just it shows that they're actually like struggling and fighting for something. Like um, I know I, the first time I saw it, I was shocked that they chose to leave it on a cliffhanger of Han Solo being frozen in carbonate still. Like, I think that was just a bold choice, especially for that time being, because every, every other movie, like, was wrapping things up in nice little bows, and they chose to leave it on a cliffhanger. So, um, I think that's a bold choice. My pa my parents, when I was little, they kept a book of every everything I did for every day of my life for the first year, and on the second day of my life, my dad apparently said I look like Yoda, and that was in my baby book forever now. So... I mean, just nod to Star Wars. Apparently, I looked like Yoda when I was born. <laughs> I don't look like Yoda anymore. Just throwing that out. Uh... <laughs> oh. Ow! Okay, I'll be quiet. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll learn my place. <laughs> Mercy, are you throwing it to us? Yes, I am. <laughs> Um, so I do kind of have a box office for Adam Project, as you could guess, because it was direct to Netflix. Um, but Empire Strikes Back made five hundred forty-five million dollars at the box office. Not too shabby. Um, I will pull a mercy, and uh, Mr. Lawson did see the Adam Project. I did not. Um, I was sleeping. So, um, <laughs> just be honest. But I do like a good Mark Ruffalo, uh, Jennifer Gardner reunion. Yes. As you might know from our other podcast, 13 Going on 30 is one of my go-to movies. So, I do like a good reunion in a movie of actor and actresses. Um, and then Empire Strikes Back. You know, I can't tell you why this isn't my favorite Star Wars movie, because it does have all the action and all the suspense and everything, but I was talking to Mr. Lawson, and I just don't like the part where Yoda and Luke are training on that planet. It just looks so, like, drabby and cold, and I know that doesn't make sense, but it, when I was younger, it made sense, and I think I've just kept that as why it's not my favorite. <laughs> so, um, but it is a great movie, and... I will say, you know, I'm not the biggest Star Wars person, but if Mr. Lawson does want to, like, watch one, I'll, I will I will um, watch it because I do enjoy them secretly. I'm not the biggest fan, but I enjoy them. <laughs> Thanks um, for sharing your secrets on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, uh, throw it over to Mr. Lawson. Yeah, so, um, Adam Project, I, like you said, I, I tried to get Mrs. Lawson to watch this with me, but she chose sleep instead. Um, <laughs> You know, it's. I wouldn't say it's one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. I would I say it is one of the better movies that you guys mentioned that Netflix has come out with recently. But uh, definitely, um, Ryan Reynolds kind of played. I would say his like the same kind of vibe he has like in every one of his movies. Um, it feels like he's playing Deadpool a little bit, but just like a much like a more wholesome version of Deadpool. Um, but it, yeah, it's a really fun movie actually. I. I I really enjoy it. It's kind of, it, it's a good like intro to the sci-fi movie. Um, it's really more about like as you guys mentioned like the relationship between like father and son and mother and son and um, the use of time, the way they jump around in time. I think is interesting and gives it more of a sci-fi element. Um, I really think the movie was actually 
very well done until the ending. I thought the ending, the ending just felt rushed and sort of like, I don't know, just the way they kind of like got rid of the villain so quickly. I, I just don't, I don't think the villain was very well done in that movie. Um, but everything else, I, I, I would still recommend it though. It, 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 it's a fun movie to watch on Netflix. Scott, here's something to say real quick. Oh, no, I was going to agree with you because, like, uh, you just reminded me of something. Like, they, they keep talking about how horrible the future is, but you never see the future. Like, you never see how bad it is in Ryan Reynolds' time. So how do you, like, you're just taking them at their word for it. Yeah, I think there was, there was things like that. that I, I definitely think there's some gaps in this movie, but the reviews on, I think the reviews on Rotten Tomato were, like, in the mid-60s or something like that. So I think the reviews were kind of too harsh for the movie, honestly. So it's, it's a better movie than the reviews give it credit for. Um... So I, I enjoyed watching it. I'd recommend it. Um, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie. Wow. Uh, I, yes. I <laughs> I agree with what Mercy said earlier. I think it actually, or maybe what Scott, that, that it's almost like the fact that the Rebels take a loss, yeah. I think actually adds to the, it just gives the move, it gives the whole franchise a little bit more um, depth to it. And it's not, it, it kind of makes it, you know, the Rebels don't win every time. It, you know, like, it kind of gives, like, that the, you know, the Empire's going to win a few. Um, and then the relationship between, like, you know, Luke choosing to just, like, you know, basically think he's going to fall to his death, potentially, uh, rather than, you know, like, be with Darth Vader. So I think, the, like, the, like, that part of the relationship is really good. Uh, the battle on Hoth is really good in that movie. Um, I just like some of the random, like, that that like snow creature that kind of pops up and like you're, yeah. you're worried about um i just think it's like cool battle scenes tied with some like good sci-fi like creatures that kind of come out of nowhere and some and but they also build on the story with um you know luke and Vader and kind of makes the relationship more than just like oh i hate you you know it kind of adds a little bit of depth and layers to the relationship as well so i just think it's really well done i think it's probably one of the best sequels of all time it it is like really good like i said before yeah i I appreciate it better now than i did as a kid but like when you see something first as a kid and your kind your mind's kind of made up on it you kind of carry that with you um but either way uh it it, oh any maybe even some of the new uh Star Wars remakes will still get my vote over Adam Project, even though it's good. It is, you know, it's like when you compare it to other Netflix movies, though, that doesn't make it great. So it's still good, but Empire Strikes Back uh, gets my vote easily. My vote goes for Empire Strikes Back as well. Uh, I will also vote for Empire Strikes Back. Yep, obvious, sweet. I would have voted for Adam Project over Mars Attacks, though, so I I will give it that. (laughs) I would have, too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah. So, all right. Uh, And we're not going too far away from uh, Star Wars again, because that's number 10, uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. But number 9 is uh, maybe the oldest movie we have on this bracket, and a a classic that I think had to be on here, which is The War of the Worlds, the 1953 version, not the Tom Cruise uh, Dakota Fanning remake. Um, But yeah, Star uh, I'm sorry, War of the Worlds, 1953, starring Gene Barry, uh, uh, Anne Robinson, sorry, and Les Tremaine. Uh, it was also written by H.G. Wells, you know. Um, so throughout the film, the cast is seen drinking Coca-Cola because Anne Robinson's contract forbade her from appearing to drink alcohol. So they did that kind of in solidarity with her, which I thought was pretty cool. 
And also, uh, there's another thing here that I think uh, Mr. Lawson might appreciate, and it's a, it's a very subtle line. But when uh, Major General Mann meets Dr. Forrester, he references to meeting uh, him once before in Oak Ridge, uh, Tennessee, I believe it was, which was uh, where they... Like, go ahead. Yep, you know what it yeah, is. That's where they developed the nuclear, uh, nuclear bomb. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. It's like it's it's one line in there that you can miss if you're not paying attention. And so like the the doctor and the general were there at the same time because that's where yeah they enriched uranium during World War Two. A good call out. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so it goes up against number ten, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, which came out in 1983. Same cast again, people. Hopefully you didn't miss those names. Uh, they're in there. Um, so, in early versions of the script, there were several ideals that were toyed with. And I thought this was really cool, because I think George Lucas, it, it, uh, I think he, he had a great idea, and uh, I don't know how these would have worked, but because I, I think Return of the Jedi is actually my favorite one. Um, but originally, the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees. Obi-Wan Kenobi was supposed to come back to, to actual life. He was supposed to reappear in the physical world and come back to life in that movie. And also, there were some false rumors that were spread for misdirection. One that Billy D. Williams actually believed was that Lando Calrissian was the new hope from the first movie. So that they said, we need a new hope. (laughs) (laughs) And that was supposed to be him. He thought like, oh, I'm the the, the savior. So um, obviously both of these movies, um, you know, you can say that Return of the Jedi is a classic, even though it was made in the 80s and War of the Worlds. Um, So I uh, talked a lot. Uh, Mercy Warren, do you have an opinion? Um, I recently just saw War of the Worlds. As I stated, I believe in my intro, I do really like older movies. And I was pleasantly surprised that I actually enjoyed this movie. Um, I was a little taken aback with how the aliens looked. I was expecting them to look like the Roswellian aliens with the big eyes, big heads, small bodies. But instead they're like these big red blobby things. So um, I was... Not expecting the aliens to look as they did, but I really did enjoy that movie. And I can see the parallels that Mars Attacks was kind of spoofing off of War of the Worlds, especially modeling Pierce Brosnan after Forrester. No, so. Okay. Um, as, far as far as Star Wars Return of the Jedi goes, um, when I was little, I used to love Ewoks. They were my favorite part of that movie because they're so cute. Um, my brother, I remember my brother telling me that they never refer to them as Ewoks in that movie. Correct. So I don't know how everyone just knew what they were called. Probably because of marketing. Yeah, the toys. But, um, that was Return of the Jedi. That's what I associate that movie with as Ewoks. Also, the redemption arc at the very end of Darth Vader. How he, like, before he dies and is, like, burning on that pile. How he kind of redeems himself in the end. Because who doesn't love a good redemption? Well, also, too, like, they talk about how Anakin Skywalker would bring balance to the Force, and he does, like, in the mm-hmm. end. Like, he gives his life for it. He threw disbalance into the Force, but he did bring balance to it back in the end, which I think was great writing by George Lucas. So. Lawson's. Okay. Um, so, War of the Worlds, the 1953 version uh, had a box office number of $2 million. So, you know, for 1953, I'm sure quite a bit of money. You have to take that into that into that factor. Then Return of the Jedi uh, made $475 million. I'm surprised. So each Star Wars movie went down by over $100 million. That is really yeah. surprising. You're right. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah. Yeah, if you are listening at home, uh, New Hope uh, made the most money at the box office. Wow. That is very true. Um, you know, I'm going to put my Mrs. Lawson spin on my fun facts, but when I think of Ewoks, I think of How I Met Your Mother. I do, too. I'm going <laughs> to just throw that in there. And I guess for Barney, if you do like Ewoks, or if you don't like Ewoks, that means you're too old mm-hmm. to date. But if you do like Ewoks, you're a good age. I guess if you do like Ewoks, when that movie came out, you would be 10. So if you've seen the show, it makes perfect sense. But because he likes to date younger ladies. But um, so that's my fun fact about Ewoks and uh, Return of the Jedi. But I do think it's a good movie to finish off the franchise. It does like wrap it all up in a nice bow for a sci-fi movie. So I do enjoy that one as well. Uh, Mr. Lawson. Yeah, so everyone's made some really good points so far on and these two especially. Happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> more towards God mercy, I would say. Uh, yeah. I actually forgot the, the way you guys said about the Return of the Jedi. I mean, like, again, it's probably, it's hard to say it's my third favorite because I think it's tough because, like, New Hope gets the nod for being my second favorite because it was, like, the original. But Return of the Jedi, I think, like Scott said, it wraps it up, like, George Lucas did a really good job of wrapping the three, the three set up, and Mercy is point out the emo, like the ending with Darth Vader and giving him redemption is like a really nice ending to it. I always like that too in the movie. That like again, similar to like Empire Strikes Back, where you kind of get a little bit more into the relationship. This kind of just adds another um, layer to it and makes it you know you kind of understand that the Anakin had regrets about turning to the dark side at the end. Um, it actually kind of still makes me like Vader as I look back and watch the movies. It makes it like I just kind of like sympathize with them a little bit more after seeing those three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then the Ewoks. I think the Ewoks. The fact that they can like take down like advanced weaponry with like some logs and stones. I think is kind of ridiculous, but it's it's still a relatively fun part of the movie. And there's a lot of like fun action scenes to the Ewoks. So I don't. I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous how like they succeeded. Um, but uh, it is kind of a fun part of Star Wars, so I don't I don't dislike it. Um, War of the Worlds, obviously, it's like 1953 it was made, so, you know, it's a movie when you go back, you have to consider the time it was made. It's like a huge factor to it. Um, again, great point by Scott, where it's the fact that, like, the military is, you know, trying to muster all it can to stop these things, and it's pretty much helpless at one point to do anything to stop it. Um, I think, and, like, the... There's also kind of like that race against time factor in this movie because, like, you know, cities just kind of keep getting destroyed and, like, it's basically, like, the aliens are winning throughout most of the movie and you kind of, like, the people in it have that sort of fear that completely getting taken over. Um, One of the things I think when people watch it that will kind of strike them is, like, how um, minimalist the spaceships are. It's like they're kind of like these, you know, very... They're not nearly as complex as, like, modern movies mm-hmm. are. kind of weird when, like, these little, like, rudimentary spaceships just, like, destroy, <laughs> yeah. destroy part of the Earth. Yeah, they're um, simple. Yeah. But, like, other than that, I think it's a really well-done movie. And I, me and Mrs. Lawson, I don't know if she remembers this that well, but we went to see War of the Worlds, the new version in the theaters. And I was just, I was excited because I had seen the old one beforehand. I was like, oh, this will be fun. Mm-hmm. 
And it was pretty awful, I yeah. would say. So. Wouldn't recommend the new one. If you want to watch War of the Worlds, pick this one that's got to the, the 1950s version. It's much better. Yeah, I, I think that was really well said. And, I mean, yeah, because that movie does a great job of just... It's so suspenseful, because at the end of that movie... You really think that, like, there's no hope. There's, like, the human race is about to be completely wiped out. And you see, like, people, like, in the streets, like, you know, money can't buy you a, a place on the truck. Like, the guy with a suitcase full of money, mm-hmm. like, you know, it can't, like, you know, it can't save you. Um, you know, you, you go to different churches and, like, they're, like they eventually find each other, uh, Gene Barry and, and, and Robinson find each other in that last church where, but, like, the other churches before that, they're, they're, they're wiped out. Like, you, like, religion can't save you at, at first. Um, you know, the military can't save you. Um, being a woman or a child, like, you know, they don't show that really. I mean, that would have been stretching the envelope back then, pushing the envelope. But, you know, it, it's such a great job they do and make it so suspenseful and kind of terrorizing that, you know, there's no hope. And then at the end, when they do do that, and, you know, like the the germs are what kill the aliens and, you know, the one thing they couldn't protect themselves against, I thought was, you know, it's H.G. Wells writing. And if there's any movie on this bracket that I think can't be, somebody can't be offended by voting against Star Wars, it is War of the Worlds. So even if it doesn't move on, I'm going to give my vote towards War of the Worlds. So I was actually just thinking of the episode that Mrs. Lawson was talking about of How I Met Your Mother recently. I actually just watched it the other day with, like, where bon- Barney's explaining the Ewok line. And I am on the right side of that Ewok line. I find them adorable. And therefore, my vote goes to Return of the Jedi. I also find them adorable. Um, and that's kind of why I didn't say anything about War of the Worlds was I've only seen the Tom Cruise version. And kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was like, not seeing the 1953 version, like going into it with a fresh mind perspective for like a Tom Cruise action sci-fi movie. I thought it was pretty decent and on the big screen it was pretty cool. Um, but my saying that my vote will go to Re- Return of the Jedi and I'm also on that part of the line that Mercy is as well for the Ewok. <laughs> Yeah, this is a really this is a really tough one. Um, I guess I'm going to force a tiebreaker here, just because <laughs> Scott kind of pushed me over to it with I think the way, and I think sometimes these these sci-fi movies, when they're such classics like this, I think the suspense of the film, as Scott mentioned, almost gets like overshadowed because they're just so iconic that you know the endings to them. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna vote, I'm gonna make it a tiebreaker and vote for the world as well. Yeah, and I think it deserves that vote. You know, I think War of the Worlds deserved a chance to get in there. Um, once again, though, obviously, Star Wars just destroys it in the IMDb score. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish I could even kind of try to pretend that it was close, but it's not. Uh, Star Wars, uh, 8.3 out of 10. War of the Worlds, 7 out of 10. And I, I wonder, too, if, like, maybe just there's that disconnect. People don't, like, if they see War of the Worlds and they think of the Tom Cruise one, and that wasn't very good in, like, the reviews, I don't think. So maybe people saw that and voted against it on IMDb a little bit or gave it a bad score. Maybe, I don't know, it just wasn't appreciated as well as it should be. Um, but I think for the older generations out there, I think that the, they could see the merit of uh, War of the Worlds. All right, so moving on, we got uh, number 11 and number 12 coming up here. We got uh, number 11 is Minority Report, which came out in 2002, uh, starring Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, and Samantha Morton. Uh, so, fun fact about Minority Report is it opened the same weekend as Disney's Lilo and Stitch, uh, which outpaced Minority Report in tickets. But 
because most of these tickets were half-priced children's tickets, Minority Report was technically able to claim the number one spot at the box office for adults who paid full price. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I think if I remember right, like I think going back, like both movies kind of claimed they were number one at the box office. And number 12 is the Steven Spielberg classic Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which came out in 1977, starring uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Terry Garr, Melinda Dillon, Francis Tufar, and uh, I can't even read my own, Carr Guffey? Carrie Duffy? Carrie Duffy, sorry. Carrie Duffy. <laughs> Guffy. Uh, Ray Bradbury, Bradbury, the author of Fahrenheit 451, declared this the greatest science fiction film ever made. And J. Allen Hynek, famous for his contribution to the uh, pro- to Project Blue Book, uh, made a cameo. It was really him at the end of the movie. He was uh, uncredited, but he was the man smoking a pipe in the landing site of the spacecraft. Um, both these movies, I think Minority Report is a great movie. It's like I think it's our one movie on this uh, uh, bracket that doesn't have anything to do with space or aliens. Um, so that, I think that makes it unique as a science fiction movie. Uh, but Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, I'm sorry. Like with Minority Report. Also, too, I think like it's a great movie. But the first after the first time you see it, it's not really much. You don't really need to rewatch it again. You know everything that's going to happen. You know the big twist and everything. So it's like kind of a one and done movie. Whereas Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I think you can watch this movie more than once and notice things. Richard Dreyfuss, the performance he gives as the the dad. It's you hate his character kind of. I hated his character because he abandons his family. He goes crazy to go be with this alien race um and he has like two or three kids at home and like he abandons his wife but it shows just like how obsessed i mean he but he did a great job acting in it i'll say that even if you don't like his character he did a fantastic job acting in it and as um you know the the unknown and like that belief that there's something out there um i thought it is a really brilliant sci-fi movie mercy so this is my first mercy warren special of the podcast but I have not actually seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> um, I have watched a, like a few snippets of it on YouTube. And Scott kind of explained it to me a little bit. But I have not actually seen it. I just saw Minority Report the, a few days ago. And I actually really enjoyed that movie. Um, it was your standard Tom Cruise action movie. But like many, um, I do find interest in true crime and that kind of ties into this movie and that basically they can see murders before they happen and then go try to stop it. So I thought that was a pretty interesting premise. Like, I was making the question myself. I'm like, they're arresting these people, but they technically haven't done anything wrong yet. So, I mean, I thought that was, like, a fun little legal like legal line that they were, like, blurring. Because mm-hmm. they technically didn't do anything wrong yet. I kind of wish they would have actually, like, told you what happened to the son, though. Because they never really provide what happened to him. Yeah, to Tom Cruise's son, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of, like, I'm glad that his wife and him rekindled. And it looks like she's pregnant at the end of the movie. But, like, I kind of wish they would have, like, told you what actually happened to his son. Just because they never, like, shed light onto yeah, that. Yeah, just to give closure. Yeah. yeah, just to give closure. But Scott is right. Now that I've seen this movie once, I feel like the magic would be kind of gone from it. Just because you know exactly what's going to happen next time. So I feel like once I watched it, I wouldn't be inclined to watch it anytime soon again. Lawson's. Points as always. Um, so, Minority of Four made $359 million at the box office. And Close Encounters, not too far behind, $307 million. So, there's a huge time gap between those two movies. There's yeah. probably like, um, 
almost 20 year gap. Yeah, 25. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that is pretty cool. Minority part, I uh, saw this in the theaters with my mom, and uh, we both enjoy action, some action suspense movies that tie into true crime, as Mercy said. Um, and the twist at the end is it's uh, a good twist. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. Um, I do have, and these are both Steven Spielberg movies, so to go I didn't notice that, yeah. Um, I do have a fun, one fun fact for Minority Part. Apparently, Steven Spielberg didn't want Tom Cruise to take a salary for the movie. So, they both, and I guess it's well known, Steven Spielberg doesn't take, um, I guess doesn't take salaries for his movies or something like that. So, they didn't, but they did take 15% of what the box office earned, which worldwide it made. $359 million. So they probably both got a big chunk of change for that movie, okay. even if they didn't take a salary. Um, so I thought that was interesting. On Close Encounters, um, I do enjoy I think a good sci-fi movie is the one it has the music, too. So it just, like, plays well with the theme and everything. And I would say that that one definitely has good music to the movie, which I enjoy. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, so good point. Minority Report, as you guys mentioned, you know, not so much in space, but more of like a futuristic, um, really it's about, like you said, law and order and like the role of the government in people's lives. And it's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a voice for libertarian kind of movie in a way. Um, I think Tom Cruise did a great job in it. One of the few times I'll say he did a great job. And it's probably my second favorite Tom Cruise movie, honestly, outside of Top Gun. Um, I think it's just, I think he did a really good job in that one. It, he kind of fits the vibe and like the, just the futuristic nature of that movie. I don't know. I think it, I think it kind of fits him for some reason. Um, yeah, and like you said, like, like I said, it's a movie to see one time, and you know that's it. Um, I was gonna say it was underrated, but it seems to get pretty good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so maybe it is actually. I think people have caught on to like how good that movie actually is. Most um, encounters of the third third kind. It's to me, it's one of the all-time sci-fi movies. Uh, it's just so well done. Richard Dreyfuss, as Scott mentioned, is fantastic. Scott made a good, really good points about this movie. I think um, the way that it's more about the it's more about the individuals in this movie than it is compared to like War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, it's more about like how the government reacts, and it's more of like a, a macro response. And in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, it's more about like how the individuals. And the believers uh, respond, and as Scott mentioned earlier, the passion that, that these people had that were like thinking, "Hey, we're we're meeting, you know, extraterrestrials." I can't pronounce that right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that's just—it's just a different. I kind of like the fact that it's from that that perspective instead of the larger how larger society reacts. I mean, there is obviously like a government response near the end, but it's not the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is. Um, the, the people who believe versus some of the, I would say, non-believers. Um, and I do like, like, um, it's lost on the, the soundtrack is really good in that movie and how that plays. And I think it's interesting how um, they have that language barrier with the aliens at the end. And I think some movies kind of act like it takes a minute. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, and that, well, now we can communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, I just like the fact that like they kind of like show how Spielberg kind of like shows how potentially people would figure out how to communicate with each other. Yeah. 
Um, so, a lot of great points that movie. Also, in War of the World, the, you know, the aliens are not nice. It, it does seem in this movie that they are on the nicer side. And they're yeah. trying to communicate, and they're not trying to destroy our planet. They're just trying to, like, communicate and talk to us. So, uh, not like any uh, other side. Yeah, it's different. It's different perspectives gives yeah. them a lot. Yeah, I think I just think it's a lot of different perspectives compared to your typical kind of cold sci-fi movies. I think it's a little more warmth to it. Yeah, and you know, great points, uh, both of you guys. And and these are two different, unique sci-fi movies because you know, like we said, Minority Report not in space or uh, you know with aliens. And Close Encounters, it's a movie with aliens, but the aliens aren't really hostile. They're not like it's not a war. That's not you know, there's not fighting. Um, I mean, it, it's there is with the humans, and uh, I, I think it, it is such a brilliant movie. And um, it is a tough vo- uh, vote when we get into voting here because Minority Report is actually really good. Uh, especially you know the the one time thing like we said but watchability with close encounters i feel like each time you watch that movie you can discover something different or get a new appreciation for it so my vote's going to go towards close encounters just because i haven't seen close encounters my vote's going to go towards minority report I think my passion for Close Encounters uh, convinced Mrs. Lawson. <laughs> she can tell how, how much I like the movie. It, it is just, I think it's so it's so well done for the time. It's it's great. So I'm going for Close Encounters. Although, like I said, Minor Report is still good as well. Okay. Yeah, so Close Encounters will move on. Uh, it was, out of all these movies matched up, these this would have been an extremely close uh, IMDb score, but Minority Report would have gotten it by one point. So I won't say what Close Encounters is, which is kind of shocking. I mean, but both these movies are rated really high, though. I mean, because they are really good. Uh, so as we get into the last part of the bracket here, we have four more movies. Uh, and then we'll get into quick voting to wrap up the episode. Uh, but number 13 is E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which came out in 1982. Also directed by Steven Spielberg, and uh, um, which is really fun. But uh, stars Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, Peter Coyote, and D. Wallace. So the... Atari, I, I thought a couple of fun facts with E.T., the video, uh, the, the extraterrestrial, is the Atari video game made from the film, for the film, was also a huge disaster uh, in contrast to the movie, which was, I think we'll have the box number there, and I think it was a huge success. But the video game was a disaster and actually rumored to be re- why Atari was bankrupted and went out of business. Um, there's a documentary, which I think is on Amazon right now, which is really great about how they, all the unsold cartridges of that game were put into a giant landfill and then like trying to erase from history. They were buried under layers of garbage in the eighties, uh, to cover up how bad the video game was. And they actually uncovered it and found thousands of those games buried. It was true in a landfill, uh, out, out West. Um, uh, but they also found other games in there too. That it wasn't just the ET games. Um, but Steven Spielberg said he got the idea for E.T. after filming the end of Close Encounters when the aliens show up. Uh, he wondered what would happen if one of them were left behind. And it could be, uh, who knows if he did this on purpose or not, but still the, in the Spielberg universe, um, because some fans think that E.T. looks very similar to the a- aliens there. Um, and that the two spaceships in each of those two films of uh, Close Encounters and E.T. are actually pretty similar. And uh, so E.T. goes up against, maybe by some, called the greatest sci-fi of all time, definitely a classic, uh, which is uh, number 14, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which came out in 1968, starring uh, 
Kier Dalia. Oh man, I'm so bad with these names. Uh, Gary Lockwood, uh, William Sylvester, Robert Beatty, and Glenn Beck. Uh, not that one, though. Um, so the movie did not make much money at first, and MGM was about to pull it from theaters, but many theater owners asked them to wait. Uh, they noticed that an increasing number of young, high adults uh, were attending the film, and they especially liked the Stargate ex- uh, sequence towards the end, the very trippy, like, 10 to 15 minute, you know, scene. Uh, that helped the film become a financial success. Um, Space Odyssey is a great movie. Um, it's really slow paced, though. Very, very slow paced. I mean, the build up to everything is so slow and methodical that. I have fallen asleep probably more times in this movie than almost any other movie out there. Um, and the music, it just kind of lulls you to sleep, too. You know, because it's all music. There's so much music and not a lot of dialogue in most, most of the movie. But it introduced you to Hal, also. Um, and Hal was such a uh, great character as a computer. Um, and E.T., of course. I mean, like, what an adventure. What a great film. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, you can't really go wrong with either of these two movies. I mean, they're both classics. So, uh, Mercy Ward. So, when I think of both of these movies, I think of their soundtracks. Same with, like, Star Wars. I think of their soundtracks. Um, growing up, I was in band. I was in marching band, concert band, and sci-fi movies. Like, we, I've done the E.T. I've done Space Odyssey. I've I've played the songs to those just countless times. Because they're, they're, they're crowd pleasers that everybody knows. A few years back, my brother and I went to a sci-fi symphony that George Takei was hosting. And it was just so interesting just to see all the music, like, played with, play just because they do, sci-fi has some really good soundtracks that are very recognizable. And E.T. and 2001 Space Odyssey are two that I just remember playing those songs. I just saw E.T. for the first time a few days ago, and I cried like a baby when I thought E.T. died. That's unbelievable. Yet you just saw it recently. I can't get past that. Yeah, I just I saw, saw it. it. Yeah, I saw that when I was like five. Yeah. How, but I, I am left to wonder, how did the mom go that, like, a few days without realizing that E.T. was in her house? Because it's not like they were being exactly subtle. <laughs> and the fact that he kind of, like, he was got in trouble for being drunk at school and they just never did anything about it. Yeah. Like there was no like ramifications <laughs> right. or anything like that. I, I just Great point. I, I feel like this the mom was in over her head a little bit. Um but it was a good movie, heartwarming. I cried. Um, two thousand one Space Odyssey, Scott's right, it is a little slow paced, but I do like how they use sound in that movie. Cause there is not a lot of dialogue. So I kind of like how like there's not dialogue, but it's not silent either. There's They use sounds to kind of reflect how you're supposed to feel at that point in time during the movie. Um, Hal reminded me of, this is going to date me, but does anyone remember the um, Disney Channel movie Smart House? Yes. Where the house becomes evil? No, Mr. Lawson? You never saw that? No, I can't say I have. Oh, or man. That's I'm, a great uh, Disney movie. Uh, like, straight to, D, uh, straight to movie. Yeah. I, if you have Disney Plus, I'd, I'd look it up. Smart House. Yeah, I also remember, like, or I remember having to read The Fall of the House of Usher in high school, and it's about a house that is just technologically savvy, and it ends up, like, being their downfall. That's kind of what Hal reminds me of. It just became too smart for its own good. 
and it ends up causing problems. And that scene was really unsettling when he's unprogramming Hal, and he's like, I'm afraid. I can feel it. I'm losing my memories. Yeah. Like, I don't know why that unsettled me as much as it did, but I found it very unsettling. Mr. Lawson. No, those are good Those are good reviews. Um, so Mrs. Lawson's going to skip out one round here. So I'll give you the box office numbers real quick. So E.T. made $793 million. Um, 2001 Space Odyssey, which came out, I can't remember, what year did you say earlier, Scott? Uh, 1968. 1968 uh, made $146 million. Wow. So um, I would just give you Mrs. Lawson's fun fact that she wanted to talk about with E.T., um, which, by the way, if you're in Universal, um, the ride for E.T. isn't, like, spectacular, but I would still say it's kind of a fun, it's still worth a, a short, like, a line. Um so the fun fact is Spielberg wanted to use M and M's for ET, right? That famous scene where he's mm-hmm. eating the candy. Yeah. Um, but it didn't end up working out because like uh, Spielberg wanted to use Hershey Kisses, and then Hershey wanted to create a buzz for their new candy, which is one of my favorites, Reese's Pieces. <laughs> I love Reese's Pieces. Yeah, you two and your peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. So um, Hershey spent a million dollars for the rights. So they could create like new exposure for the candy, and I guess it worked. Like I guess it boosted like sales by like sixty five percent. So, good idea for Hershey to uh, make that move. And Reese's pieces are delicious, so I'm glad it worked out for them. Uh, Et I've saw many years ago. Um, it's you know heartwarming story. I agree. Not great parenting there uh, <laughs> at all. Like like I said, it's pretty it's pretty evident that there's someone there that shouldn't be there. Um, I don't get at the ending why the kid doesn't just go with E.T. Like, if you had a choice between hanging out, um, like, in his, I know it's a controversial comment, but, like, yeah. he's, like, he's clearly not that close with his parents. He's kind of, like, an outcast in town. You've met E.T. Why not just go and, like, see what his planet is all about? <laughs> I think it's interesting to, like, you know, I just feel like he should have went at the end with E.T., but, uh. Really good. Again, that's another good movie to like introduce your kids to sci-fi. E.T. All-time classic as well. Um, so, 2001: Space Odyssey was kind of the one I volunteered to rewatch fully uh, for the group. Uh, Mrs. Lawson like refused to watch it because she was <laughs> so bored. Um, yeah, the first 20 minutes. I think it's 23 minutes has no dialogue at all. Yeah. Um, it is slow, but it's not like there's no action at all. I mean, it does kind of like show basically like early primates and there's some I mean, you it, they they explain the story without any words so yeah. i mean there's there's something to it it's not just like pure boringness but um especially compared to like you know modern movies now it is a lot slower um and one of the things i will say i think that makes it slower as well is that and you have to remember the time this was made in 68 like they were showing like when a space like now in a sci-fi movie a spacecraft just like takes off and lands and yeah. like they show like maybe one shot of it, right. and that's it. But in this movie, like they really slowly show the spacecraft landing, and yes. like they're pressing buttons, and like they're trying to really show the detail of the spacecraft. Um, which today we find like that doesn't mean anything to us because like we've seen it all before. Yeah. But back then, that was like a really big deal, um, and I think that's what kind of makes it so boring because there's like three or four like spacecraft landing, taking off scenes. That I'm sure, again, at the time, I think was very impressive, but nowadays we couldn't care less about. Um, I think it, it's interesting that they like saw face. They basically like predicted FaceTime um, back then in yeah. 1960. I think it's pretty impressive. Um, 
So, yeah, it's a movie where you have to remember the time of it. I don't know if it holds up super, super well um, to today. Um, in rewatching it, too, I thought there was more to the Hal storyline. Like, I thought it was longer. It kind of goes by quicker than you think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I That's thought true. there was more of, like, a battle between Dave and Hal. And it really goes by quicker, where he kind of just basically comes back out on the spaceship and just... Tears him apart. It, yeah. Yeah, tears apart. I thought there was more of, like, a... I remember there being more of, like, a back and forth. Yeah. Um, as Mercy said, it is a really powerful moment where he talks about, like, Hal's, like, basically trying to explain how he's feeling about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and Hal is a great character. I almost just wish, like, the rest of the movie is kind of slow and not that exciting. I wish they kind of added a little bit more to that part, honestly. I think that's, like, the really the most, the highlight of the movie um, and the most exciting part of the movie. Um, as Scott mentioned, the ending is really trippy. And, so trippy. Uh, the ending doesn't make full sense to me like I I know the director said that like it was he was supposed to be in like a zoo but then I still don't get like the I don't get the star kid rebirth at the end that's part of the I I had to look that up myself because there's a couple things here I wanted to talk on really quick what I found with the ending of that movie because I was totally confused by it too is that that by finding the fourth um the fourth monolith that was the the, the next stage in human evolution. They they reached that point where human humanity that uh, David um, had he was the first human to reach that stage where you know he he found the first of the three monoliths. So those were clues. You know the first one from uh, like you know from Earth was there to help guide humans. The second one with um, you know on the moon showed that we were capable of getting there and then getting to Jupiter. And then the fourth one was actually in another dimension is what I was understanding. And so he was able to see his like himself aging, his own death, and then reborn as a star person where he is now part of those aliens. He's part of their race. He transcended humanity and time and space. And so now he's been reborn as whatever the aliens were that put down the monolith there. So now he is able to do that for other civilizations too. Um, so I mean it's still debatable it's still a lot of different things but it's like it's such a deep movie so sorry for this long rant here uh. <laughs> I think that's actually it's actually a good rant because it's important to kind of like understand that because otherwise the ending makes zero sense yeah agreed like, you almost have to kind of like read what the director intended to like yes. understand it which I guess is again isn't the best like I wouldn't say that's a great thing for a movie mm-hmm. but um, 2001 it's almost like it's almost like a historical piece of like movie than yeah. it is like you're, you're not watching it for like the movie itself it's almost just like what inspired so much of else of science fiction yeah uh, but yeah great points by scott though. oh no yeah and, and by you too and so uh and also too i i when when the part was coming when hal like he was trying to like hal open the bay doors open the bay doors hal and then like there's a silence and hal does that i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that i still get chills like what a great yeah that's like one. That's like one of the all-time lines. I, I feel like the, as Mercy said earlier, the soundtrack and like that line, yeah, are like the classic like parts from that movie. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a good point where you said that the fact that like how um ties back to like the initial tool. I thought was mm-hmm. something they like the director tried to to like pull together, but again, it's like. It's not super evident when you watch it the first time. You almost have to, like, study the movie. You, you do, yeah. And, I, I mean, it shows the... I, I will say Kubrick's a very brilliant person. I think, you know, with The Shining, with this, um, you know, with other things he's done, I, I really I give a lot of praise to Stanley Kubrick um, as a, 
you know, as a, not only a director to get it out of there and to do things his way, but as a writer too. And just like being, I mean, I have a ton of admiration for that as a fellow writer that's not even close, I'm not even at the feet of his ability there. So <laughs> as we have to get into the voting here now, finally, uh, despite all that with uh, Space Odyssey, I have to give my vote to E.T. If I was Dave, I wouldn't announce all of my plans out loud for how to hear. Like when he's um, trying to get in, he's like, I'm not going to unlock the video. He's like, okay, I'll just go in through the emergency exit. <laughs> he like just says it out loud. And Hal's like, um, that's a bad idea because you don't have your helmet. Like, why would you announce all your plans? <laughs> like, I just. Yeah, I, I agree, Mercy. Like, especially like after like Hal showed you he could read the lips. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to go through the emergency door. It's like maybe Hal has another thing. That's how I, I almost wish in the movie that Hal had like another response to yeah. Dave breaking in the emergency doors. That's the only thing I like. I almost wish I had just like, I wish Hal had one more move yeah. that Dave had to overcome. Yeah. That's, the only, that I, that's the biggest complaint with the movie, honestly. Yeah, great point though. Great point. Mrs. Lawson, do you remember the movie Smart House on the Disney Channel? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I figured you would. That's what kind of Hal reminds me of is Smart House. Well, original. It, it is. Um... <laughs> But based on watchability of these movies, um, E.T. will get my vote. <laughs> I think Mr. Lawson told my fun fact. Um, yes. Did he say box office too? Okay. Doing your job. Okay. Um, so my vote is also going to go for E.T. And Mr. Lawson's vote is also going to go for E.T. as well. So clean sweep. Yeah, which is which is tough because 2001: A Space Odyssey, great movie, but there are like he, it, it, it's it's great with the the story, but with the movie itself, like having that trip scene at the end, and just yeah, how you do have to actually research that movie to fully appreciate it, kind of hurts it. Um, all right, so we're in the final two movies here on the bracket. Uh, number 15, not just one of my favorite sci-fi movies ever, but in a consistent for the last decade of my life has been in the top five movies. One of my favorite movies of all time, and that is 2005 Serenity, the uh, Josh Whedon uh, film after he did uh, Firefly on Fox. But uh, the movie itself, I, I love it so much more than even the show. So Serenity 2005, starring Nathan Fillion, uh, Gina Torres, um, uh, oh my gosh, Chit- Chitwell Elephor, I know I probably butchered his name, Alan Tudyk, uh, Adam Baldwin, Summer Glau, and Sarah Paulson made a cameo in there. So, fun fact about Serenity is in the cargo bay on the ship, a crate with the words, reusable container, do not destroy, can be seen in big letters. This was an inside joke as the ship set and the ship in the set had to be rebuilt from scratch for the movie because the original from the Firefly TV show was destroyed because they thought after the show got canceled, it was just gone forever. Um, And it goes up against number 16, 2018's A Quiet Place. Uh, starring Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, and Millicent Simmons. So the film's premise of staying quiet also shifted to the audience in theaters for A Quiet Place. It was noted that audiences were unusually silent themselves, and concession stand sales were down as a result. Like, that's kind of weird that, uh, you know, the, the one thing would affect it like that. So there was actually lower concession stand sales sales because quiet place was unusually quiet uh, people like i've heard different stories about people actually shushing people who were eating popcorn or something too loud so um 
both of the like a quiet place is a great movie we saw this in theaters uh miss uh, uh mercy warren and i i don't think it was our first choice we tried to go see another movie at the time it was like sold out and so we're like oh let's just go see a quiet place yeah yeah and turned out to be a really fun find and i know the first movie didn't establish the the monsters as aliens but the second one does so i thought it was uh fitting to be on this bracket um so it was sci-fi uh so yeah two great movies um mercy warren so when A Quiet Place came out, as Scott said, it wasn't our first choice to go see that day. It's just when we, that happened to be starting sometime soon when we were at the movie theater. And I remember a few things about this movie. I remember it was a very interesting concept of a whole movie without sound. But you can, but it wasn't like, I felt like the sound wasn't lacking or missing. I remember like, when she steps on that nail on her barefoot, I remember that, like, visibly. That got me. Ugh. Like, how, like, she wouldn't scream out during during that. Or when she was giving, ha- having, like, going through childbirth and, like, completely silent. Yeah. I remember John Krasinski hearing an interview saying that he wrote this letter. He, he made this movie as, like, a love letter to his children, which I think is nice. Like, as what a father would do to protect his children. And I actually really like, what do you say her name was, Millicent? Yeah, Millicent Simmons. I feel like she did a really good job in both the first and second movies. Yeah, she's the deaf daughter. Yes, I really liked her. Um, Serenity, I just watched for the first time a few days ago. Um, I know my brother was a huge fan of the TV show. I know fans around the world were visibly shocked when the show got canceled before oh, yeah. Untimely. I remember on Big Bang Theory, if there's any Big Bang Theory fans, they've made a few jokes about that. Yeah. Where, like, they thought that it was going to be on for a very long time. So I'm glad that they came back and at least did a movie to help satisfy fans. And I think Nathan Fillion did a good job in that. Yeah, I think Nathan Fillion at that time would have been a better uh, Nathan Drake, too, over uh, Tom Holland or whatever his name is for the Nathan Drake. uh, Uncharted. Uncharted, yeah. So, Lawson's. So I will fill in for Mrs. Lawson one more time here. Um, so Quiet Place made $341 million, so pretty successful. Um, Serenity only made $40 million, which probably reflects how, you know, Firefly was, you know, only a one-season uh, show. Um, I won't say too much because we've gone, we've gone kind of long. I agree. I think Quiet Place is almost better to watch at home because in the theater, I think that every little cough and every little, like, snack snacking sound I, I didn't see the theater but it just sounds like a it just seems like a very annoying movie to watch with a group of people that's almost seems like a better movie to watch just like with like one other person at home or something like that um mrs lawson refuses to even like talk about that movie or like think about <laughs> it because she thinks she just gets like anxiety just like she just hates what's kind of like horror horror movies like that so um but john krasinski was really good in it. i thought he yes. really carried the, mm-hmm. the movie did a great job um, you know, Serenity, it's just like, it's, it's basically an extension of Firefly, which if you haven't seen it, just go watch Firefly. It's only one season. The episodes are pretty short and then watch Serenity. Um, it's a cow, it's like a Western in space. Yeah. Good. And yeah. Good way of saying it. Yep. It's just, it's just very fun. And, um, the characters are, are pretty well developed. Even in that one season, you wish, I mean, me and so many other fans out there wish they would have done more, um, but the movie kind of adds a little bit more to it. Again, I still wish they would have done another season after the movie. I think it still could have been done, but that's where it's at. 
yeah, probably if it would have made more money in the box office, maybe Fox would have brought it back somehow. But yeah, it, it, it's one of the, I didn't know about it for the longest time until I saw it in college, and it instantly became one of my favorite movies. Well written, well um, well terrific, terrifically acted. Um, so as we get into voting here, my vote will obviously go towards Serenity. My vote's gonna go towards A Quiet Place. Uh, myself and Mrs. Lawson, who did see Serenity and thought it was pretty okay, voted for, <laughs> we'll vote for Serenity. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big Western fan, so anytime you can tie like a Western to sci-fi, I think it's just I think it's just successful. And again, uh, Nathan Fillman is really good in that in that show and movie too. Oh yeah, I love him as the captain. Uh, I think uh, um, you know and and. Uh, I, I always wanted more from that movie, but it's it's one of the rare movies where I get excited when it first starts because it, it's such an adventure uh, as we go through it. So we have all 16 movies finished now. So we're going to go into quick voting here because like Mr. Lawson said, we'd actually, we were worried this was going to be a quick episode and this might be our longest one yet after I edit, about to edit it down. But let's get into quick voting here now. So let me see the bracket here. Bring it back into our frame of, re- frame of view here. Okay, so we head back up to the first grouping of the movies, and we have Independence Day going up against the fifth element. Um, I'm going to give my vote towards Independence Day. I think it's just a stronger movie over Fifth Element, which I do love, though. I do like that movie, but Independence Day. I didn't understand the fifth element. My vote goes to the Independence Day. I'll make it a sweep, despite my earlier criticism of the movie. It's still a fun summer blockbuster. Independence Day. Yeah, I, I think you'd like... I think if, if you don't like Independence Day as much as you say, then you might like Fifth Element more. Um, so, here we go. We got Star Wars A New Hope versus Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Um, I'm going to give mine towards New Hope. Uh, just, you know, the movie that launched it all. I mean, the original. I think uh, it gets my vote there. Um, this is a really tough one, but I think I'm going to throw my vote to Empire. I think I'll stick with what I said earlier and go with Scott and vote for A New Hope. Oh, I'm curious to see how this goes. Oh, it's going to be a tiebreaker because I'm voting for The Empire Strikes Back. All right, so these two movies are one of, like, among, like, obviously Star Wars is highly rated. Um, so Star Wars A New Hope. Eight... Huh. Point six out of ten, very hard to beat. And Empire Strikes Back, well, eight point seven out of ten. It gets it by one point. Yeah, they're both so good. Yeah. So Empire Strikes Back, eight point seven out of ten, moves on into the semifinals, and so we go into the third grouping, which is Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, going up against Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um. My gosh, who would have thought that these movies would go up against each other like this? Um, so I'm going to give my vote towards Return of the Jedi just because start to finish, it's a stronger, better movie over Close Encounters. Not to take anything away from that, but start like Close Encounters isn't a perfect movie. Return of the Jedi is almost perfect. I stand Ewoks. I go for Jedi. <laughs> Return of the Jedi will get my vote, too. I'm gonna throw one for close encounters and a losing effort. Yeah, no, I, I feel I feel good about that. It should have gotten at least one vote here. And uh, anyway, <laughs> so we get into the final uh, grouping here, and it's E.T. versus Serenity. Um, man, I might I knew Serenity probably didn't have much of a chance, but I'm gonna give it a vote anyway. Um, I'm gonna vote for E.T. Uh, 
vote for E.T. as well. Yeah, E.T. over Serenity, but again, watch the watch Serenity and Firefly. Yeah, it is. It's it's really good. And I actually saw the movie before the TV show, and I like the TV. I mean, I like the movie a lot better than the TV show, honestly. All right, so we get into the semifinals, and we have Independence Day going up against Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Um, so between Independence Day and Empire Strikes Back, uh, I will say and give my vote towards Empire Strikes Back over Independence Day. My vote goes to Empire as well. Mister and Mrs. Watson will both. Vote for Empire Strikes Back. All right, so that means that we have Return of the Jedi versus E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Um, and this voting, my vote goes towards uh, Return of the Jedi. I stand Ewoks, but I don't want to see this become a Star Wars versus Star Wars thing. So I'm going to vote for E.T., uh, Mrs. Lawson is going to vote for Return of the Jedi, and I believe Mr. Lawson is also going for Return of the Jedi. All right, so we do have a Star Wars versus Star Wars, which I will also say to everybody out there, hopefully this answers your question, that Star Wars, a hundred times over Star Trek. I mean, it's, I don't even know if Star Trek should be even considered in the same category as the as Star Wars. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get why people like Picard and uh, all that stuff, but, uh, you know, and Mr. Sulu and George Sakai and, you know. But uh, I'm sorry, Star Wars is just king in my opinion. And apparently with us as well, not that I speak for everybody, but we have Return of the Jedi versus Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi has always been my favorite Star Wars movie, so I'm going to stick with Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm still going to go with Empire. Mr. and Mrs. Lawson are both voting for Empire Strikes Back. All right, so we have it. We have the best sci-fi movie turns out to be a star wars movie and that is empire strikes back uh nothing to take away from the movie it is fantastic i mean i absolutely love it um i really do don't laugh at me <laughs> oh uh so everybody thank you out there so much i know this episode went a little long uh but we appreciate you sticking with us and uh look forward to doing this again next year uh remember also to find mr lawson and myself uh on over on our uh round three speak the podcast with patrick henry we should have another episode hopefully coming out soon we have a lot to talk about there and uh we don't want to get away from that either we have a ton of fun doing that podcast and getting our voices out there and opinions so uh look for that sometime soon on our other channel but until then thank you mr mrs lawson thank you mercy warren Uh, i had a great time doing this with you guys and i look forward to more of these in the future and it seems appropriate that star wars uh, was the movie on May 4th. So may the 4th be with you, everybody, and have a great summer as we go forward. Bye!